Let's pray. Father, what a gift to be able to come into your presence like this. This is just an amazing thing. And uh, Lord, we, we prayed earlier to, uh, to see your glory. And, uh, and you've shown us your glory in Jesus, in your word. We just need to open and listen and look. And your glory is there. So help us have uh, eyes to see and hearts to receive your truth today, we pray in Jesus' name. Okay, so we're back to the Beatitudes, these statements Jesus makes at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to open there, if you've got a Bible, grab it and open to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew, first book of the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to... uh, Use the one that's in the rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to just take that as our gift to you and, and read it and uh, put your name in it. Use it. So the Beatitudes, Jesus here is telling us what it looks like to live a life that is blessed. What it looks like to live a life that is truly happy, truly and deeply happy, because we trust him as our king, and because we, we live life according to his priorities, according to his values, the things that he says are good, the things that he says are important and true and right. Um, but those values in our world seem very upside down because they're almost always the opposite of what the world's values and priorities are. And so far, we've looked at the first four Beatitudes. Today, we come to Beatitude number five. We're in Matthew chapter five. Let's uh, start reading at verse one. The seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's say that last one, our beatitude for the day, beginning at verse 7 with the word blessed. Say it with me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One more time. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You want to be blessed? We want to be blessed. We need to understand what Jesus is saying here about being merciful. So let's ask some questions and think about it. What does it mean, first of all, to be merciful? What does that mean, merciful? I could take the easy way out and just do what dictionaries do and say, to be merciful means to be full of mercy. How helpful is that? Not very. Okay, we can do better than that. Uh, I think the best place to start is by looking at God. Looking at God himself, because God describes himself as merciful. Way back in the book of Exodus... 
when God sent Moses, you know, he met Moses in this burning bush, and, and then God sent Moses down to Egypt to rescue the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt. And he sent him down to bring the people out from Egypt and lead them to the land of promise, the land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. And on the way, they stopped off at Mount Sinai, where God met with Moses, and he, he revealed to Moses the Torah, what we often call the law, his instructions for his people living in relationship with him. And Moses was just so overwhelmed by this experience, that he made this amazing request. He said to God, please show me your glory. He just wanted to see all of the goodness and beauty of God that he could. And God said, well, you can't look on my face because nobody can see my face and live. And he's telling Moses, a full, unfiltered display of my glory would destroy you. You couldn't handle it. But I'll let you see my back. Very interesting story. And, and so it says that God appeared to Moses and declared to him his name, which means he gave Moses a glimpse. Name means character. Who God really is. What he's really like. And when God declares to Moses his name, who he is, what he's like, In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the very first words that God says in describing who he is, what he's like, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So to be merciful is to be like God. Because God is merciful. Now it doesn't really tell us what what mercy is, but it does tell us how important it is. How basic it is to the very character of, of God. Think about all the things God could have said about himself. You know, we know so much about God from his word. You know that he is truthful, he is holy, he is powerful, he is omniscient, he's omnipresent, all these things that God is. And yet, when he chooses to describe himself, the very first word is merciful. Which means that when you and I think about God, if if the if we're not thinking merciful, and we need to change our thinking, because that's how God describes himself. We're missing something huge if we're not thinking of God as full of mercy. Okay, but what does that mean? What is mercy? Okay, we're going to go to Psalm 78, where we see God's mercy in action here. It's described for us. In Psalm 78, is a history lesson for the Israelites. It's a history lesson in poetry. The Psalms are basically poetry. They're songs. And Psalm 78 takes us back to that Exodus event, and it rehearses all of these good things that God did for the Israelites. 
how you know he brought these plagues on the Egyptians so that they would let the people go, and he parted the Red Sea for them so they could walk through to freedom, and he, he fed them in the wilderness every day with this manna, and, and he gave them his word. And yet in spite of this, the psalm reminds us that in spite of all God's goodness to them, the Israelites just keep sinning. And they're complaining. And they're worshiping idols. And they would repent only when God would bring some hardship that got their attention. And this cycle just keeps repeating over and over again. So let's pick it up at Psalm 78 verse 35. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer, but then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Now look, yet he was merciful. What does that mean? He forgave their iniquities, and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger. It did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. Okay, there are two things to see here that help us understand what mercy is. The first is that God forgave. God forgave the people instead of destroying them, which is what they deserve. You know, you go back and you read the story, and you just keep thinking to yourself, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with them? And then the Lord gently taps me on the shoulder and says, look in the mirror, buddy. But God, you know, he he could have just wiped them out. That's what they deserved. That was justice. And yet, he didn't. He didn't destroy them. He was merciful to them. So he forgave them. The second thing to see It says that God remembered something about them. And when it says that, it doesn't mean God had forgotten and he went, oh yeah, that's right. When it says God remembers, it means he calls something to mind in order to do something about it. Or he calls something to mind that influences what he's about to do. And it says that what he called to mind was that they were flesh. And they were like a passing breeze that does not return. God remembered that they were mere mortals. They were frail. And this is a common theme throughout the Bible. We see it again and again. The Bible keeps telling us that we live in a world that is broken because of sin. We are broken. Our lives are very fleeting. We live just a few decades and then we're gone. And while we live, our lives are full of trouble and hardship and suffering. Because we're broken and the world is broken. And the point here in Psalm 78 is that because God knew this about these people, that they were frail, that they were fallen, He was merciful to them. He did not add to their troubles, but He restrained His anger. He did not destroy them. He kept them from additional suffering. And so what all this tells us is that mercy, mercy expresses itself mainly in these two ways. Forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering. 
And oftentimes those go together, but not always. Forgiveness for the guilty, compassion for the suffering. Really, mercy is what love looks like when it encounters misery. The miseries that come with being sinners and with living in a sinful, sin-broken world. Or to put it another way, mercy is the motivation to move toward misery. Get all those M's? Misery is, or misery, mercy is the motivation to move toward misery and bring relief. To offer forgiveness, to offer compassion. Now, if you think about it, in a perfect world, mercy would not be necessary. That's not the world we live in. You and I live in a world broken by sin, and the need for mercy is all around us, and the need for mercy is in us, because we're sinners, and we suffer. You have never met a person who doesn't need some mercy, and you never will. And Jesus says that if we trust him as king, and we are going to want to be merciful the way he is merciful, we are going to want to forgive the guilty, we are going to want to show compassion to the suffering. Why? Because that is how the king has treated us. And that is how he is. So, merciful. Forgiveness for the guilty, compassion for the suffering. We see these twin threads of mercy all through the Bible. You see it again and again. For example, look at Psalm 103, verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I just heard that. That's right. It's a quote from Exodus 34. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now he's talking to people who are in relationship with God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him, those who respect him and trust him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So you see, there's that forgiveness thread, forgiving the guilty. And then it goes on, as a father shows compassion to his children. As a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So there's that compassion thread. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we're but dust. So motivated to move toward misery and offer forgiveness and offer compassion. Now, there's no guarantee that it will be received, that it will be appreciated. Why? Well, because to receive forgiveness... You have to admit you need it. You have to admit you're guilty. 
And to receive compassion, you have to admit you need help, that you're hurting. And that is why this value is upside down compared to the world, because admitting you need forgiveness, admitting you need help, doesn't come naturally in this world to us. Talk more about that in a minute. But here's the thing. Whether or not people respond to mercy, whether or not they re- are willing to admit their need of forgiveness and compassion, the point is being merciful is part of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, second question. Why are the merciful blessed? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And if you know you need it, that is an incredible blessing. What an awesome statement. If you're thinking rightly, this is just awesome news because you need mercy. You need mercy. You need forgiveness. You need compassion because, dude, you're messed up. And so am I. We all need mercy. Okay, but this raises a very interesting question here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Is that saying that we need to earn mercy by being merciful? Because if that's what it's saying, that doesn't sound like the gospel. Because the gospel says that God's mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion is a gift that we just receive from him through faith in Christ. Because Jesus bought it for us. He earned it for us by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Taking the death penalty that we deserve. And God gives this gift freely to anybody who will receive it through faith in Christ. If you're you're here today and you haven't responded to that gift of mercy, the gift is there. You can have it. So, no, we don't earn mercy. We can't earn mercy. Well, what is this saying then? Well, what it means is that a heart that refuses to be merciful to others is a heart that has never responded to mercy in the first place. It has never received mercy. Instead of receiving God's mercy, instead of delighting in God's mercy, an unmerciful heart has ignored it, has spurned it, said, I don't need that. Jesus told us a story to help us get this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. Start at verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one servant was brought into him who owed him 10,000 talents. He's got to know, this is a ridiculously huge number. Okay, this is like our national debt. It's just, you can't even grasp it. This was the biggest number they had, 10,000, with the biggest unit of money they had, Nobody had 10,000 talents. This is just ridiculous. It's like a billion dollars, trillion dollars, whatever. So this represents us, our debt before God, what we owe God. We owe this, this incredible debt, and the only way we can have it forgiven is if 
or deal with it is if God forgives it. And that's what he does through Christ, entirely by the merits of Jesus without any contribution. It's not like Jesus pays 999, or let's see, 9,999 talents and we kick in one. That's not how it works. You'll see that. So, since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all that he had and payment to be made because something's better than nothing. The servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, now don't miss this, and I will pay you everything. That's what he thinks. Now the master says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, okay, now this is a significant amount. This would be like a few hundred bucks or maybe a thousand. It's significant, but it's nothing compared to the debt the other servant owed. It's just nothing. And this represents the sins that you and I commit against each other. They're significant, they hurt, they're real, but compared to what God forgives, they're nothing. Okay. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which will never happen. And the scariest verse in the whole story. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Why wasn't the first servant merciful? Because he had never really responded to the mercy that had been offered him. He had not responded to it. It had not changed him. Why? Because he didn't think he needed it. Just give me some time. I'll pay it back. Hey, God, just give me time. I, I can totally deal with this sin thing. I got it. I can handle this. I can pay it off. And because he didn't need mercy, he wasn't about to be merciful to anybody else. This is a pay-as-you-go thing. I got to pay, so you got to pay. No mercy here. Listen to this quote by Don Carson. The one who is not merciful is inevitably so unaware of his own state that he thinks he needs no mercy. He cannot picture himself as miserable and wretched. So how shall God be merciful to him? By contrast, the person whose experience reflects these beatitudes is conscious of his spiritual bankruptcy and grieves over it and hungers for righteousness. He is merciful toward the wretched because he recognizes himself to be wretched. In being merciful, he is also shown mercy. See, this takes us right back to the first beatitude. It's important to read these in order. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that they are absolutely, completely spiritually broke. They're in debt beyond anything they could possibly pay with God. And they know the only way they can be forgiven, the only way they can make it in the kingdom of God is if God gives it as a gift. And they just receive it as a gift. And when you realize that you are totally, completely, desperately in need of God's mercy, and then he gives it to you, that begins to change you. It begins to change you. You will want to become merciful. You will want to extend forgiveness. Maybe you won't always know how. Maybe you'll struggle with it, but you'll want to be forgiving. And you'll want to be compassionate. You will give mercy and you will receive mercy because of God's mercy. That's how it works. Have you ever experienced it? Have you experienced it? Have you? Do you know what it is to realize that you are absolutely guilty before a perfectly holy God? to know that you deserve his judgment, and then, and then to receive his complete forgiveness. And it's all washed away. You are completely set free. The debt is gone. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced God's compassion when you've been miserable? And then you know he is present with you. And his people come and they they show compassion to you and they pray for you and they show you kindness. If you have, then let mercy overflow because there's great need of it. I was thinking about how we could apply this message I was thinking to myself, okay, well, there's, all, there's that obvious need that as we sin against one another, we need to forgive one another, you know, extending that forgiveness part of mercy. Uh, and maybe you're in one of those situations right now, and if you are, then for sure, God wants to display his mercy through you. But then as I was thinking about it, I was confronted with the other thread, the compassion thread. I was confronted with something that feels to me like a much bigger, much more urgent opportunity to show mercy. And that is the misery that is unfolding right now in the Middle East. Do you know that right now there are over 2 million, think about that number, 2 million people who have fled from their homes in Syria and are now living in refugee camps in the bordering countries of Iraq and Jordan and Lebanon and Turkey. Do you realize that over 110,000 people have been killed in this conflict? Now you think about all the grieving relatives and friends there. You think about 2 million people living in refugee camps. Think about the misery of that. I'm not even beginning to want to speak to the political situation and what our country should do or not do militarily or anything. I'm just talking about as believers in Jesus Christ who are to be merciful, what an opportunity there is here to show mercy. 
I read a command, a command, a comment by Tom Elliff, who is president of the Southern Baptist Missions uh, Agency. This really struck home to me. He says, we've learned, we've learned how to look at the most horrific things you can imagine and be unmoved by them. We just get desensitized, don't we? All the reports, all the talking, all the pictures, we just get desensitized. But I don't think Jesus wants us to be desensitized. He wants us to be merciful. And so with that in mind, I'm going to show you a little video clip. Because when I watched this, this provoked me to mercy. Maybe it'll do the same for you. Muhammad has lost his smile. Even though he's not responsible for his younger brother's injury, he blames himself. The bullet shot by the troops ripped through his leg, damaging the nerves and causing paralysis. What plagues Mohammed more than his own leg injury is his guilty conscience. He says he's to blame because he took his brother to the mosque on the day the shooting occurred. They both need to overcome their despair. Wounds eventually heal. The brothers need comfort and support. So does that 
stir up a motivation to move toward misery. And the thing is, that story can be multiplied countless times. Um, how can we show mercy to people like Muhammad and his brother? Well, clearly, we can pray. We can pray like it actually makes a difference, because it actually does. It really does. And we can pray, especially for the believers, the churches, the Christians who are in the area, who not only are suffering from their own misery, but are there and trying to share the mercy of Christ with their neighbors who are suffering. So we can pray. We can also give. Give of our wealth, especially to those Christians, those ministries who are there. This is an amazing opportunity, really. It's, it's miserable, but it's an amazing opportunity because those Christians on the ground, those ministries there uh, outside of Syria and even within Syria, they have an opportunity to share the love and the compassion and the good news of Jesus with people in an area that they have not been open before, that they're open now. So on your sheet, on your note sheet that's in your folder, I just put a couple of web links. Those aren't the only two. Those are a couple of ministries that I personally would feel very good about recommending to you. So if God would move you to be merciful in that way, uh, there's a couple of opportunities. And certainly we need to pray and pursue the blessing of being merciful. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for this boy, I pray for his brother, and I pray for the thousands and thousands of others living in refugee camps, suffering great misery. And Lord, we know that you are a God of mercy. You are merciful. You have been merciful to us again and again, and you have called us to show that mercy. Lord, I pray for our, uh, those who are believers, who are there, strengthen them, Comfort them in their sorrow and equip them, use them, pour your mercy through them. And Lord, help us do what we can to enable them, to help them, to partner with them. And God, give us mercy. Let it flow through us every day to those around us who are suffering the misery of living in a broken world and being sinners. Help us share your compassion, your mercy, your forgiveness with those around us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us. May we understand how much we need it, and may it transform us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.